Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Melinda Hill moved 27 times as a kid before making her biggest move from Kansas to Los Angeles to make it as an actress. She studied with the Groundlings, where she performed as a tooth fairy alongside Kristen Wiig. She starred in a Creed video. She competed on America's Got Talent. She performed on Adventure Time, Lady Dynamite, The Late Late Show, and Reno 911. She made a web series for Funny or Die with Mary Bamford and another one from an IDM channel called Romantic Encounters. And for 10 years, she helped run a popular Monday night stand-up showcase in Hollywood called Tiger Lily. This year, she performed in an upcoming movie with Diane Keaton and Jeremy Irons, started a podcast called Let's Process This about creative people overcoming trauma, and turned her own personal trauma into comedy in her debut stand-up special, Inappropriate, out now via Comedy Dynamics. So let's get to it! So, Melinda Hill, last things first, congratulations on your new special out this week, Inappropriate. But it's appropriately everywhere via Comedy Dynamics. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Tell me how this all came about. I know you filmed it in L.A. back when you could film indoors in L.A., but how did it all come about? That's right. Um, Well, you know... uh, couple other people had wanted to make a comedy special with me a few years back. So this has been a long time in the making. I finally, ultimately, made it myself. Uh, and so, um, but I feel like the timing is much better now. It would have been a different comedy special then, uh, than what is now. So... Um, it came about just really wanting to do a special and looking at all the material that I had through the years and then really articulating the message I want to impart showed me which stuff to use, which stuff to lose and incorporated in new and, and relevant material. Is that what you're referring to when you talk about the timing of recording a special now versus three or four years ago? Yeah, when I say the timing, I mean, I feel like every project, every creative project has its own um, divine timing. Like, I really feel like it comes out at the time that the people need the message. Like, I feel like that's when things get made. And because in my own experience... Um, I've had, you know, things sell and then they didn't uh, get made because executives switch hands or whatever happened, a company folded. And then, you know, you end up doing it at another time and it's the better time because just the things align. So I feel like once you create something, you don't know when is the best timing for it to come out really is what I'm trying to say. I'm saying like, if you're trying to do something and it hasn't happened yet, hold the faith that the timing may not be right. And the message may not be quite there. And when it is, I, in my experience, when all those things uh, meet, the timing's better. And the timing's also better because I know more and I've grown more as a person now. So I have a lot more to say. 
I can I can identify with you on that on on a lot of different points. Uh, for really? one thing, for one thing, full disclosure. I mean, my parents, who are avid listeners of the podcast, already know this. But several years ago, I foolishly said out loud to them that I was going to write a book about comedy. Now, the, you you listening to this in 2020 may go, well, where is this book on comedy? It's not out. <laughs> and my parents will remind me from time to time, I thought you were going to write that book on comedy. But if I had written that book about comedy even four years ago, it would sound so stupid now because so much has changed in just the last four years or even the last four months that everything that I thought I knew about comedy was not up to date or not up to speed and, and not to where it should be. I love that. And, and not that it would have been a bad book. I'm sure you knew a lot of things at that time, but you probably obviously know a lot more now. And I feel like that is the advantage when things don't get made on our own timeline. Um, maybe there was more growth that needed to happen. There was more, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm personally grateful. I didn't get more opportunities right away as a comedian when I first started, because I feel like, you know, I, I, did, I didn't have as much to say. I wasn't as skilled until, you know, later. So I, I'm sure your book, when it comes out, is going to be the right timing for that book, you know? Right. And, I'll, and I'll have the right things to say at that time. Absolutely. You'll have more experience. You'll have like all these, you know, interviews you've done. And I, I just, I don't know. I really believe in that. So don't, don't stress out if something's oh. not happening in the way that we thought like it was supposed to happen because it might be an even better way, an even cooler way. So just right. keep an open mind and, and keep, keep doing the work, keep preparing for the opportunity because they do come. And that's when you want to be prepared with, you know, with that product. Well, on the bright side of all the things that I've stressed out about in 2020, that's not one of them. <laughs> um, talk, talking about timing, one of the joke, one of the, not, a, not necessarily a joke, but one of the things you talk about in your special is how in 2018, you, uh, you kind of blew up a hashtag, hashtag me too soon that, that got you in front of TMZ cameras and all that stuff. And today, as your special comes out, I look on Twitter and what's trending is hashtag me Tubin. Really? What is yeah. that? Oh, that's for Jeffrey Tubin, the uh, political reporter for the New Yorker, who on a Zoom call, much like this, was um, uh, not was behaving like uh, some of our more famous male comedians. Oh, that's Zoom Dick. Yes, Zoom Dick. That's Zoom what that's Dick. Like. Okay, you saw yeah, it as me. Oh, today, that is... Today it's turned into hashtag me Tubin. Wow. Is his last name, Tubin, yeah. Talk about timing. Talk about timing. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, like, as we were just talking about, like, the timing of things, like, as as your career has progressed and grown, what's your thought about, like, what progress looks like to you in terms of professional growth or, or personal growth? Because, because, you know, people say, like, sometimes... Progress is two steps forward, one step back. Some people argue it's one step forward and then two steps back. What? How do you how do you look at it? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that um, if you could stay, you know, what helps me is to stay macro or big picture. Because if I'm looking at little, oh, I didn't get this part. I didn't this. I didn't get that thing that I thought I needed. That's kind of it's very small map, as they say, you know, because the big map is like, you know, we're all here to use our gifts and talents. Um, and so, you know, it's like when if I'm here to be of service with my gifts and talents, then how do I know what's the best project to do that on? Like I, I need to stay open to what that looks like. And so if I'm working on a mission and a message that I believe in, then, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I got a lot of things and then uh, some things I didn't and I feel pretty happy with things I've gotten. Does that answer that question? Well, I was actually going to going to like ask you to take take a step back and go back to what were your expectations when you arrived in LA from Kansas in your early twenties and you you got these big plans. What were your expectations for how things were going to go? I really wanted to be an actress at that time, an actress and a writer. So I had already been doing a lot of plays all the way through school i was always doing these you know three sisters uh the crucible these big plays and um i really loved acting because uh it was just a chance to be someone else and i really enjoyed that and uh, i found it was really easy for me to memorize a lot of dialogue like three hours of dialogue and it was also like a great way to make friends. But I also loved writing. I've always been a writer from a young age. I've always written like little plays and characters and stuff that I wanted my, that I, that I would have my brothers and pets star in. And um, so when I came here, I, I had just done a, a theater and acting scholarship and I'd done a lot of plays in college and I'd also done a lot of writing classes. And then- You, you weren't even thinking about, but there also weren't the opportunities of like the comedy acting. I guess the Groundlings was there, but IO West and UCB and Second City, they hadn't yet shown up in LA, right? Uh, I don't know about those other places yet, but I know that I went to a two-year acting school. It was Meisner Technique, um, and I was doing other various acting classes during that time. I was doing plays. I was doing some movies, and then um, I was doing a lot of crying roles. I was doing a lot of the crying girl in the independent movie. Uh, you know, I was uh, always crying. And then I was like crying in acting school, doing all these crying roles. And my teacher at acting school said, um, for my two-year evaluation, he said, hey, I really think you should go into comedy because you're accidentally funny. And you're doing these, you know, I was doing these serious scenes and mm -hmm. the class was laughing. And so I went to the Groundlings and um, I went all the way through their program, all sketch and improv. Uh, I was there for like four or five years. Okay. And then ironically, uh, once I started doing comedy, um, I was cast in Reno 911 as crying motorcycle girl so now i'm in this comedy crying 
<laughs> so all that crying did come in handy. Did you get oh, Reno? Did you get Reno nine one one before or after the music video for Creed? Okay. Because <laughs> I watched that also. Okay. okay. And there was some good. I don't know if they showed enough of the crying, but you were definitely s- sad. You were definitely very sad. <laughs> and then you were happy because Scott Stapp showed up and showed you that you could live for under the one true king. <laughs> Spoiler yeah, alert, if yeah. you're not familiar with... What's and you, don't, you don't want to spoil that ending. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, you do your research. Uh, Sean, uh, so it, the Creed, vid- that's a very good question. The Creed video was the first job. Uh, was it the first? It was the first job I got in LA. So that is my very first job. And uh, so Reno came after that. And, okay. <laughs> but that is exactly the type of roles that I was cast in. And I'll tell you, that job was not difficult to get no, because... No. I was bartending all night until like 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, the DJ at the bar that I worked at at the time, Goldfinger, um, his name was John Ojaka. He later married uh, Lisa Marie Presley. Oh. He's a DJ slash mu- uh, musician. He was working in casting as one of his side hustles. So he was DJing where I was bartending. He said, why don't you come into this audition in the morning for this video? And I went in, I like, you know, I was up till 3am. I got home from the bar, had to be there at something crazy, like 8am, 9am. And I didn't even change clothes from bed. I was just wearing this like slip dress, went in, no makeup, they were like, can you cry on cue? I just started crying out of sheer exhaustion. <laughs> and um, they were like, great, booked it. <laughs> and that's how I became crying uh, motel girl in the Creed video. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you've never, and you've never once since then had to ask, what, what's this life for? You know, I think we all ask that at various points. Um, I, I have often asked, you know, what, what is this life for and what is my purpose here? Well, the first time I got to know who you were, because I've always, I've been based out of New York. And, but the first time I got to know who you were was I went out to LA, this must have been like 20, 10 2011 and you were running a monday night show that was really big called what's up tiger lily that was in a bar in the corner of a strip mall (laughs) but it was like that was the big monday night show back then and um tell me what what how that show first started because that show first started like years before that right 2006 yeah. Wow. So, you see, you're really good with dates because I don't even actually know the exact date that that originated. But yes, Tiger Lily ran, I want to say about 10 years. Um, it came about from, I was uh, friends with Maria Bamford, still am, and Natasha Legero. And I was talking with Maria because we all lived in Los Feliz at the time. Okay. And I said, 
at the time I was at, I was on tour. I was in New York. It was in the tri-state area. And, um, <laughs> and I called uh, Maria and she said she was, you know, she'd been dating someone in Australia. She'd been living there about a year. She was coming back to the neighborhood and would love a weekly place to perform. And I said, let's do one. Let's do one. And I went to Tiger Lily, it was called at the time. I think it was called What's Up? No, it was called Tiger Lily. And I had just done, I was writing at the time an uh, column called Hipsterific for nine hipsterific for it was for 944 magazine oh i actually Uh, am familiar because before i moved to new york i was a newspaper reporter in phoenix arizona which is where those 944 people were from exactly okay exactly so they uh started a magazine and they needed a writer to go. I wasn't a, a reviewer. I would mm-hmm. just feature a bar and restaurant combo. Um, that's like a fun place to go, but it like in a sassy, funny way. And I would right. feature one per month. Right. And it was very much a party. Ma- it was very nine four four. Was very much a party magazine, like photos of people partying in the clubs and yeah. Before, exactly. Before all that stuff went on the internet and became Tumblr and whatever. There was a magazine, yeah. Exactly. So you were writing a column for them. I was writing a column for them, a a monthly column. And when I got, when I went to write these features, I could bring whoever I wanted. So I'd bring like a group of friends and we'd get like a bunch of free food and drinks and I'd just write about it. So one of my friends said, we should go try this place, Tiger Lily. Mm -hmm. So we had gone and I I wrote a, a feature, a hipsterific feature on Tiger Lily and the uh, companion bar Dresden across mm-hmm. the street. So I wrote like a fun piece for them. And so Maria said, you know, she wanted, so then I'm in the tri-state area and Maria's like, I want to start a show. So then I called the people to add Tiger Lily and I said, hey, remember me? I wrote that fun feature about you guys last week. Could we start a comedy show there? Now, they didn't have any stage or anything, um, but they had had shows in that location before. In fact, Blaine Capach used to host our show a lot, and he would always say, this room, you know, they say this building is haunted, and it is haunted by the ghosts of the comedy shows who've been here before. (laughs) But... um, Anyway, so we didn't have a mic, we didn't have a lamp, a light. So Maria brought her karaoke machine. Um, one of the fans of the show uh, brought a, a work lamp from Home Depot, sort of blinding people. And the idea was that um, Maria would host it, I would promote it, and Natasha would book it. And we, I thought, this is, you know, a weekly show. It's going to last maybe a month. Because it's L.A., right? And that a weekly show doesn't last. It's too much work. Nobody cares. There's so many options every night. Well, it sort of, you know, really took off pretty quickly. Um, it became a, a, a fun place for people to hang out. And it was free, of course. And uh, 
they weren't really paying us much, but they we did get a drinks tab so I could buy drinks for all my friends every Monday. And um, so that's how, and it, I thought of it, we thought of it as a place to work on our material. And it ended up running 10 years. Well, because people forget like back in 2006, there really weren't that many places outside of the three or four major clubs to do stand up, right? If you weren't at the improv, the laugh factory, the comedy store or ice house in Pasadena, where, where else were you going to work back then? That's right. There were so few places to work that weren't just totally random or crappy or like, 20 miles out of town. And this was a place we could all walk to, you know, we all lived in the neighborhood. Uh, and, uh, it was two blocks from my house. So it was kind of like a, my office away from home, my home away from home. And it was a a fun community vibe. It was so fun to see people every week to have a place where people could meet. I, I know people who met their significant others there. I know people who, you know, so many people called, called, hey, I'm doing Letterman tomorrow. Can I run my set? I'm doing the roast. Can I run my set? I'm in my friend's in town from London. Can he, you know, so it was really, I would write short films and just cast them from, you know, the first eight people I saw sitting around there, you know, like, so it was a real community, creative community. And it was a lot of fun. How, how many different venues did you end up doing that show in? Because like I said, when I saw you, it was, like the old Hollywood Studios Bar and Grill is what I think it where I think it was at. But then yeah. you also did the UCB, you did IO West, you did some other bars. How many places did you do the show at? That's a really good question. So it was at Tiger Lily. That's how it became called that. Then they changed their name to like three other names, Cuba mm-hmm. Libre, something else, something else. And we just kept that name. And then we moved um one day we walked in and they were just playing sports through the show. They were like blasting sports. And Brody Stevens had a meltdown. He was just like, turn the sports off. And understandably, because it's so rude. And then and the next time, the next rude thing they did was they forgot to tell us that they weren't uh, open for business one night. <laughs> So at that point, uh, I was like, we need a new location. Mm -hmm. So then I moved it over to Hollywood Studio Bar and Grill Mm -hmm. in the Gower Gulch. That was the second location. Now, eventually, after I think like five years or something, that place closed down. They sold the restaurant. So then we went to Bootleg for a couple of nights. And then I think we went to I.O. West. Matt Besser came to do a show at the IO West and he was like, this place sucks. Come do the show at UCB. <laughs> He's like, we're opening a new wing. It's going to be awesome. UCB Sunset. So then we moved to UCB Sunset. So that was Tiger Lily, Bootleg, IO West, Gower Coach, UCB's. Yeah. That, so we did five locations and then at that time, went on hiatus what what made you decide to stop doing it was it you know i i don't think we officially decided to stop we just uh 
like like I said, just went on quote you know air quotes hiatus because you know just leaving it open that if we ever want to start it again, we can. It's not like officially over. I think it became. I don't know. It wasn't what it's had been. And it was time to just explore other things, I felt. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, have you ever done anything that long? I guess the website. I mean, the podcast I've been doing for five and a half years, and that seems like forever. But but it's nothing compared to a lot of other comedy podcasts out there. Well, I feel like... I've been doing the website for 13 years. And there are times where it's like, how long am I... Am I just going to do this website for the rest of my life? It it is a valid question. I think sometimes, you you know, you just need to be constantly going, does this still feel good? And if it doesn't, maybe we put a pin in it to explore other things. Um, But... I think in its heyday, it was like super fun. Um, I think it's, I always look at bands and I go, how do they do that? How do four or five people get along for, I mean, you look at the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones um, autobiography, the Keith Richards, I loved that. They didn't get along and they still don't. You know what I mean? And it's a job. And so it's just kind of, it, you want to, how do you keep that loving feeling for, you know, something? Um, and that's a, a rhetorical question, but, you know, I guess at some point it just, I was like, I want to do other things, but sometimes I really miss it. I miss, and mostly I miss having the community, you know, um, seeing everyone all the time. But well, 10 with, years is a long time. It was a good right. run. And with the pandemic, it's not like you could be doing the show anyhow. So, yeah. So if you hadn't stopped when you had, you would, would have been forced to stop this year anyhow. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> what are we the... What, we haven't done it in a few years. Um, well, you know, speaking of, we're we talking a lot about timing of things. What did you think of it, though? What did you think when you attended? I loved it. It was, it was I mean, it was a funky little restaurant. Uh, that's also where I met Jazz. Um, but I just remember there were so many comedians, like, milling about, like, even back in the kitchen. They would wait back in the kitchen to go on. And then there were comedians, like, hobnobbing on the sidewalk outside. It just seemed like that was the place to be. At least, yeah. at least when it was at Gower Gulch, I don't, I can't it speak really to was, one. it was the place to be for so long. And so it was, it was really great fun. I'm really grateful for those years. Um, I was going to just mention, like, there's another phrase that, that phrase that pays in comedy, which is tragedy plus time equals comedy. And I wonder, because you started a podcast about like processing trauma and being able to reframe things. So like, what was the, what was the first time where you, you realized that you could tap into these past moments of, of trauma, whether it's your, yourself or other people and, and be able to go back and, and revisit it and reframe it. 
You know, I'm really interested in how people are overcoming their personal obstacles, trauma, and how they're turning it into creative treasure um, or just treasure in general. I'm really because I'm really interested in um, solution and helping people to not, um, I guess, just just helping people, providing a light, providing. Um, you know, uh, helping people to know they're not alone and they're not, you know, they can get through things. I want to provide inspiration. I want people to feel empowered, um, that they don't have to be trapped in, in the past. Like we're not defined by what happened to us. We're defined by what we do with what happens to us. Um, and I love hearing how people are doing that. Like I love hearing how people got through something really challenging or difficult and turned it into their amazing movie or their amazing podcast or their stand-up special or just, you know, got through the pandemic by doing something simple. And so, I don't know, I just, I'm really interested in, I guess at some point, like my comedy, it's great to be funny, like, and I'm grateful uh, to be a part of that community. But at some point I thought there's a lot of funny people what value can I really add to the world? That's what I'm interested in doing. And I've always been good at like, you know, listening to people and and helping um, them move through different difficult things. Not, I'm not a therapist by any means, but I just thought that's one thing I could I could um, offer in my comedy is like comedy that's not just comedy; it's also healing, hopefully. Was there a moment for you when you first realized that about your own life and career? Noticed what? That you could do that for yourself before you could help others with that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I definitely um, started to realize the power of how you talk to yourself the stories that you that we tell ourselves that we um, live in. And I started to really examine those and go, is that really true? And like started to see that a lot of it wasn't true and that I could simply rewrite it and I could, um, you know, reframe it in a way that serves me and, and helps because I really realize, like, I can't, like, I can help more people if I feel good than if I'm just on stage being funny while I make fun of myself. Okay. But I could help people more if I'm having a good life. And I just became really interested in having a good life and obviously did a lot of work around that, like therapy, life coach, books, you know, all the things, but I uh, got a lot of help, but definitely I just don't believe uh, negative things about myself anymore. And I don't say them. Uh, and I'm really focused on being positive and uplifting. And, and that extends to my comedy. And would you say that's more or less important than being able to have the stage confidence of a Vegas magician. 
Is it, is it more important to feel good or to just act like you're feeling good? Wow, that's a good question because oftentimes you can act your way into feeling. The fake it till you make it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and you know what? Confidence is super important. Like confidence really inspires me. You can get away with so much with confidence. So I'd say they're they're up there together mm-hmm. with uh, importance. What what do you think? What's more what's more important to you? <laughs> well, I think it's obviously more important to actually feel it sincerely. Although I will also readily accept that the fake confidence does take people a long way. Sometimes Sometimes for for evil and not for good. Mm, so, so we true. have to so you have to watch out for that. So true. Well, that's all that stuff. That's all of social media, right? Social I'm, media, politics, yeah. uh, self improvement courses in Albany, New York. Thank you. I just finished the Vow season one, and I am like, yeah, absolutely so struck by the coercion tactics and the. Yeah, and, and, and when we put the group confidence and posturing, as you're saying, over our own instinct and begin to question, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Now, that's, yeah. inappro- that's inappropriate. Now, that's very inappropriate. <laughs> and basically, all of social media is that, right? Look, look I'm, I'm winning. I'm winning. Look, I got the thing. I got the da-da-da. Yeah. Have you seen the social... The other one, the social, the social dilemma. Yes, watch that this weekend. Yes, that that one infuriates me because all of those people n- were part of it, and they also could be part of the solution if they wanted to be. Yeah, because they know how it works. Yeah, there so. you go. That's now you've got me all fired up, Melinda. <laughs> but in a good, good way. But in a good, good way. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to keep the conversation going about solution and change. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing that, Melinda. And uh, once again, c- congratulations on your, on your new comedy special, Inappropriate, available everywhere you buy or rent comedy specials via Comedy Dynamics. Thank you so much. Thanks again. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.